inform. Religious freedom is about people of faith being able to live out their faith, live out their convictions, no matter where they are. We equip. This is a battle of worldviews. And we activate. We also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope. This is AFA at the Core on American Family Radio. Welcome to The Core here on American Family Radio Network. Glad to have you with us today on the program, on the show today. I had a week of vacation last week, and it's good to be back in the captain's chair for the show today. Yes, sir. Here we're back. Thanks to Bobby bringing in the crowd. You know, if you can't have a crowd, you just make a crowd. If you don't have fans, you just make fans. And uh, we bring in bring in the roars, uh, thanks to Bobby Rosa there. Well, uh, we're back uh, on the core this week, live here from our headquarters in Tupelo, Mississippi. And so we're going to jump into our scripture for the week, and then we're going to cover many of the news items uh, that have been going on in recent days. Well, we're in Psalm chapter 26, continuing our study of Psalm, Psalm chapter 26. I typically read out of the English Standard Version, the ESV. That's my preferred version. Chapter 26 of the book of Psalms. Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity, and I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Prove me, O Lord, and try me. Test my heart and my mind, for your steadfast love is before my eyes, and I walk in your faithfulness. I do not sit with men of falsehood, nor do I consort with the hypocrites. I hate the assembly of evildoers, and I will not sit with the wicked. I wash my hands in innocence and go around your altar, O Lord, proclaiming thanksgiving aloud and telling all your wondrous deeds. O Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. Do not sweep my soul away with sinners, nor my life with the bloodthirsty men and whose hands are evil devices, and whose right hands are full of bribes. But as for me, I shall walk in my integrity. Redeem me and be gracious to me. My foot stands on level ground. In the great assembly, I will bless the Lord. That's Psalm chapter 26. Well, uh, two things here that we can pull away from, two of many things that you can pull away from this chapter in Psalm. First thing is that uh, David petitions the Lord to prove me, O Lord, and try me, test my heart and my mind. And so David was willing, he was open for the Lord to test him, to try him, to prove him. Uh, so that's a that's a vulnerability there that David's opening himself up to, and he does so willingly before the Lord. So we should all also have that same openness, that same honesty, that same vulnerability uh, to bring the Lord into our presence and ask him to examine our hearts, to examine our minds, and to examine our spirit. Uh, the other thing is that um, David makes it clear that he's not hanging around with evildoers. I'm putting that in my terms, but he says in verse 4, 5, he says, I do not sit with men of falsehood, nor do I consort with the hypocrites. I hate the assembly of evildoers, and I will not sit with the wicked. That's what David says there. 
And so on that point, you know, as believers, we need to be, the saying is to be in the world, but not of the world. We need to be in the world, but not of the world. And we need to be salt and light whenever we, we, we where, wherever we are. And it's, it's, it's impossible to not be around unbelievers. We're going to be around unbelievers. Uh, Jesus was around unbelievers. You know, I'm going through the book of Mark now. He was, uh, he, he had, he had meals. He had dinner with, you know, tax collectors and sinners. That's, that's what scripture says. Mark chapter two and three, he had, he had, you know, meals and, and sat around with, uh, the sinners and the tax collectors, but, he did so with the goal, with the purpose of sharing the gospel with them as opposed to them sharing the word with him, uh, the world with him. And so when we're around the ungodly, when we're around the world, when we're around the tax collectors and the sinners, we need to do so with intentionality and do so with purpose, gospel-driven purpose, and not in a manner that puts our witness and that puts our faith uh, up at risk or vulnerable or in a position uh, where we could be compromised. So we got to be intentional with who we surround ourselves with, uh, who we surround ourselves with, and do so with the purpose of sharing God's truth. Well, uh, jumping into the news of the day, by the way, before we jump into some of the news stories, I want to mention that you can listen to the podcast on our website, AFR.net. We upload it there each day. We also push the podcast uh, on to all the various podcast platforms, including the American Family Radio app, which is free, by the way. Uh, so you can catch us on the app. You can also go to wherever you listen to podcasts, type in AFA at the core, and you can listen there at your convenience whenever you would like. Well, uh, the uh, the gun the gun debate still rages. It's still going hot. You've got Congress. Uh, debating what to do there, if anything, as it relates to um, guns and further government regulation thereof. And this is all, none of this is going to work out well. Let's let's just be upfront about this. This is not going to bode well. This is not going to work out well. You've got Washington, D.C., some of the most inept, people on this planet and that's putting it very PG-13 here some of the most inept people on the planet are trying to pass federal laws that are going to stop evil people from doing evil things this this on top of the plethora of laws that are aimed at preventing evil that we already have on the books and so let's be honest about this on the front end. I don't know what's going to happen. The Republicans hardly have a backbone, so they're probably going to do whatever the Democrats want to do, and then they're all going to go out and you know brag about it during the campaign, despite the fact that whatever they do is, is, the, the, is more than likely not going to prevent further mass shootings. And so as we're debating this, we need to ask the question, will this or would this have prevented a mass shooting? And what they're debating now is further gun regulation, because there is talk about, you know, hardening up schools, more school resource officers, single points of entry, yada, yada, yada. And all some of that's some good ideas, 
But mark my word, Democrats are not going to go for that. They never do what works. They never do the common sense things that work. And so we can't expect the party of lunacy and ineptitude to all of a sudden be enlightened to the fact that we, instead of spending $40 billion in Ukraine, we can spend $40 billion and harden our schools and have a single point of entry and make sure that all of our doors lock properly. They're not going to do that. It's not that easy. Mark my word. They're going for the guns. That's what they're going for. Because Republicans, including the senator from Texas, Ted Cruz, and others, have proposed spending money on making our schools more secure from a physical standpoint for years, and the Democrats never go for it. They don't even want to talk about it. All they want to talk about is gun control. So that's what they're going for here. They're going for gun control. Um, Let's listen to, speaking of Senator Cruz, let's listen to him and how one of many failures here was that the, the, the back door to the school in Uvalde was left unlocked. Clip three. You want to talk about how we could have prevented the horror that played out across the street? Look, the killer entered here the same way the killer entered Santa Fe through a back door, an unlocked back door. I sat down at round tables with the families from Santa Fe. We talked about what we need to do to harden schools, including not having unlocked back doors, including not having unlocked doors to classroom, having one door that goes in and out of the school, having armed police officers at that one door. Okay, the the door, this is one of many failures in Uvalde. And I understand that we're, we're, we're dealing with humans here, and we make mistakes, all right? And, and you can talk about the response time from law enforcement, how long it took them to go in the room. You can critique all of that. We can Monday morning quarterback it. And it's all up for discussion, by the way. It should be. Because our, our, our own Congress is now talking about sweeping federal le- legislation in response to the Uvalde shooting. All right, so we've got to talk about the circumstances around the shooting in Texas. You can't debate legislation that, that came about because of the shooting, but we don't talk about the shooting. So we've got to talk about the circumstances surrounding the shooting, the tragic shooting that killed over a dozen little children and teachers in Uvalde, Texas. So the first thing is that the school door was left unlocked. All right, so talk about policies that prevent tragedies. Well, there was already a policy in place to lock the doors at the school. This is not, this doesn't take Congress to lock doors at a school. You don't leave doors unlocked at our schools. We don't even leave doors unlocked in our office buildings now. All right, so that's one rule of dozens probably hundreds, I haven't done the math. One, and I'm, I'm, not, I'm not just talking laws here. I'm also talking internal policies of school districts. All right, so that was one that was broken. We don't leave the back door unlocked. So all it would have taken is locking that door, and then the, the shooter gets frustrated. He can't get in the building. He's got to go around front. More time for law enforcement to respond. You can play that scenario out. But Let's talk about other rules or laws that were broken 
on that day. And this is not a deep dive. This is very surface level. All right, so the shooter, on sep in September of 2021, the shooter asked his sister, who was of age, to purchase him a firearm, which is illegal. It's not illegal to ask, but it is illegal for someone to purchase someone of age, over 18, to purchase a firearm for a minor. That's clearly illegal. You can't do that. You can't. Per I can't purchase a firearm for someone else underage and then give it to them. Okay, you're not supposed to do that. You're supposed to be 18 years or older, and the gun is supposed to be registered under your name. Uh, so that's that's illegal. That's the first thing that was illegal. So we're, right now we're, we're debating laws, more laws, to prevent evil, but we have to go through the litany of laws that have already been broken. Then this, this is all going to make sense, and when I tell you this is all doomed, this is all leading to failure, known failure, uh, this, is, this is proving the point here. So uh, the, gun, the, the, the shooter, when he did turn 18, he did legally purchase the two firearms and the ammunition. He made multiple threats leading up to the shooting on uh, social media and on a video game, which is illegal. It's illegal to threaten bodily harm against another individual or to threaten to shoot up a school. So he committed a crime there, multiple crimes. We already got laws on the books that are aimed at preventing that. Uh, the shooter crashed his vehicle into the ditch right outside the school, which is illegal. That's called reckless driving. Uh, and trespassing, by the way. He wasn't supposed to be on the school grounds. So that's another law that was broken. You got reckless driving. He crashed his vehicle in a ditch. You're not supposed to do that. That's illegal, right? Probably wasn't wearing a seatbelt. He trespassed onto school grounds. You're not supposed to do that. He carried a firearm onto school grounds. That's illegal. You're not supposed to do that. And then, of course, it gets very, very tragic from there. Then you get into the door being unlocked. Not only the door to the school, but the door to the classroom unlocked as well. Law enforcement waiting about 60 to 90 minutes to enter the classroom. That's against police protocol. That's against the police department's own internal policies. No, training teaches you enter the school and neutralize the threat in short order, not after an hour and a half. More laws are not going to fix this problem of evil in this country. Heart change will fix the problem. Jesus said, let the children come to me and do not hinder them. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. The Arizona Department of Education links to chat rooms in its website for LGBTQ plus minors to discuss sex and gender with adult moderators present, though their parents have no idea. The department specifically points minors to two different websites, which rely on adult volunteers or staff members to facilitate their chat rooms. And they don't verify the age of those joining the chats beyond asking applicants to self-report a birth date. This is being done with Arizona taxpayer dollars by the Arizona Department of Education. The sexualization of children is happening under the guise of education. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner. For more, from Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. 
This is Raising Godly Girls Minute with Patty Garibay of American Heritage Girls. But why? Every parent of toddler and teen grimaces. In each stage, the why question represents something deeper. At times, a rebellious heart refusing to submit to healthy leadership in the home. But in older stages, the why question actually signals an older child's capacity for higher cognition and thus higher living. A parent might be tempted to retort back to this why with because I said so, and to the younger child that might suffice for a time, but for the older child, they're aching for a deeper connection. We call it the why behind the what. As your girl matures, offer her the respect and strong guidance of conversation about why you're setting a goal or a boundary for her. In all things, lead her to God's word, our ultimate why behind the what. Like what you've heard? Learn more about empowering girls through the love of God at RaisingGodlyGirls.com. Well, after two years of COVID shutdown, Israel is open for business again. Hello, everyone. I'm Tim Wildman, president of American Family Association and American Family Radio. And you know, my wife, Allison, and I, we've been leading tour groups to Israel now for 20-plus years. And we're going to be joined by our sons, Wesley and Walker, as the family tradition continues in 2023. And we would love for you to come along with us. The trip is in March 2023. The dates, the cost, the itinerary, everything you need to know is at twholyland.com. That's twholyland.com. It's going to be a wonderful experience to travel with Christians from across the country to Israel and see the land where Jesus walked, where the Bible comes to life. Again, visit twholyland.com for all the information. AFA at the Core podcast are available at AFR.net. Back to AFA at the Core on American Family Radio. Well, as I mentioned last segment, uh, Congress is currently debating and meeting, mostly privately, uh, trying to come up with some kind of legislation that they think will prevent uh, more mass shootings. And by the way, more mass shootings happen than the ones that are covered by the media. Uh, there's there's mass shootings uh, almost every weekend in Chicago in some form or fashion. There was one in Philadelphia this weekend. Uh, but the media, they only hone in on ones that fit a preferred narrative. And so the, the, gang, the gang wars in Chicago, uh, the, the gang shootings in Philadelphia, uh, all these, these shootings in New York on the subway, um, you know, they get maybe a minute on the nightly news, but they're not covered for a week, 24-7 wall-to-wall coverage like these school shootings. Uh, because it doesn't fit the narrative. Why doesn't it fit the narrative? Well, because the uh, the guns that are used in those incidents often are already illegal guns. They're, they were illegally purchased. They were illegally obtained firearms. So more gun control isn't going to stop that. And by the way, the, the whole talk about background checks, well, this shooter in Uvalde already had a background check, and there was nothing on his record that would have prevented him from purchasing a firearm. Clearly, he purchased two firearms. 
And so you can say, well, we need expanded background checks and uh, and the 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 uh, the gun shows, the uh, the underground gun shows where people are buying guns. Those need to be checked too. Well, we're doing background checks through these dealers, and uh, that wouldn't have stopped the Yavalde shooter. Um, Bobby, you and I were talking during the break about how much money this shooter needed in order to buy the ammunition and the firearms that he had. Yeah, it's uh, not a not a cheap bucket list of uh, of items to be. Uh to be purchased for sure. Thousands of dollars. Yeah, thousands of dollars. And I'm talking uh, somewhere, uh, seen several estimates, anywhere from eight to $10,000 uh, from a young man who worked part-time at Wendy's for about eight or nine bucks an hour. So... Where does the shooter get all the money? It's like anything else. You have to follow the money. So mm-hmm. who knows about the money? Yeah. Mr. FBI? Yeah, and, and why isn't the Texas Department of public safety, the governor's office, the attorney general. Indeed. Indeed. Um, FBI, why are they not holding press conferences revealing where he got his money from? That's right. And it should be a concerted effort, no doubt. Yeah. No doubt. Yeah, and you can't pull the, this is an ongoing investigation because the suspect is dead. All right, the suspect is dead. There will be no trial. Uh, there's no There's no purpose. They've already released half of the information from the shooting. Um, so there's no, there's no valid reason to continue withholding uh, information about uh, the the investigation into the shooting. Where did the shooter get the money from? That's what we need to find out. That's what we need to find out. Yeah, we need to know who the accessories are. Yeah. Where did the shooter get the money from, the thousands of dollars that he needed to buy two expensive semi-automatic rifles and uh, about 400 rounds of ammunition and other gear uh, to carry out that shooting? By the way, um, this is this is all... Everything that Congress does is aimed at punishing the rule followers. Meanwhile, the rule breakers go unscathed. And that's what, mark my word, that's what this legislation is going to be about. It's going to be about making it harder for you and me, the people who follow the rules, we pay every penny in taxes, we go the speed limit, we buckle up all the rules, we don't carry firearms where we're not supposed to, Follow all the rules, check all the boxes to be good, outstanding citizens. What Congress is going to do is they're going to make it harder for you and me, the good guys, the rule followers, harder for you and me to get a firearm, harder for you and I to purchase a firearm, harder for you and I to carry a firearm, more expensive for us to buy ammunition. Meanwhile, they're passing laws for the people who already don't follow them who already don't follow them, and if you want to buy into the argument that more laws and regulations will prevent bad guys from getting their hands on firearms, boy, are you naive. This is a country with well over 300, whatever the latest number is, hundreds of millions of firearms in this country, and you think that the bad guys aren't going to get their hands on the firearms? There's entire, in Mexico and other countries, there's entire black markets that solely exist to smuggle firearms to the bad guys. So you think the bad guys aren't going to figure out how to get the guns? 
And this Uvalde shooter apparently had thousands of dollars to spend. We, once again, we don't know where from to spend on, on firearms. So let's just say you throw up a few federal laws that prevent him from going and legally purchasing a firearm. This is already a guy intent on evil and murder. What's breaking a few felonies and going to the black market and illegally purchasing a firearm to be used for illegal purposes? It's not a thing. It's no problem at all. And so all of this is aimed at hurting the good people and, of course, the people intent on doing harm and doing evil, well, they go unscathed. Um, meanwhile, this, uh, law, this, uh, these district attorney's offices across the country in these heavily blue areas, these guys are terrible. These are the Soros, the George Soros-funded district attorneys. And this is why I, I, I don't want Congress to do anything on this topic. I don't want Congress to do anything on this topic because— if Republicans were in charge and you had Trump as president, Congress and the White House might actually pass a law that's semi-good, that's half good, that does some good in this country. But we have leaders right now that are bent on banning firearms and making it harder for you and me to purchase firearms. They're not bent and they're not focused on preventing evil. And you have these district attorneys that th th this is a party that's soft on crime. You've got this Los Angeles district attorney. Listen to this story. Los Angeles district, district attorney Gascon unlawfully told prosecutors to abandon three strikes law. So there's a three strike strikes law in the state of California that results in lifelong prison terms. for people who commit um, repeat felonies. And so Gascon, the district attorney, told his prosecutors in his office to ignore the law, the state law in California. And this is the same district attorney when there was this recent incident, many of you have probably seen this story about the mother and child that were the, the mom and her eight month old that were strolling down a street in Los Angeles. And this this young man drives drives them over, plows through the baby and the mom, and he gets sent off to some camp for a couple months by this district attorney in Los Angeles. They reached some kind of plea deal, and he didn't even go to jail. He went to some, some camp for a couple months and then got let out. Same thing's happening in New York. They're letting the violent criminals out back on the street same day. Chicago's being run by the criminal gangs. MS-13 and other gangs run the southern border. and But but this is the party that's going to crack down on, on, on gun crimes? They're going to crack down on evil? They're the same ones going soft on crime. So, so this comes from a position where they can't be taken, taken seriously. And I sure hope these Republicans in Congress wake up to this and start to get a backbone.
because this, this is a party that can't and, and they can't be taken serious. They can't be taken serious. They're they're historically soft on the criminals. And they're punitive on the law-abiding citizens. And speaking of being punitive on the law-abiding citizens, uh, we've got this uh, January sixth. Um. Well, let me let me cover this first. So this is clip four. This is uh, Matt Gates. He's a congressman out of Florida, and this 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 was revealed during the uh, Durham investigation into the Russia Russia hoax, and we had the Sussman trial ending last week. Well, uh, throughout this entire investigation into the Russia hoax, um, the special counsel, John Durham, revealed in court filings that the Democrat law firm Perkins Coy, and why do I call them a Democrat law firm? Because they took in over $40 million from the DNC to run all their legal apparatus, and that's, that's uh putting it mildly there, running their, their legal apparatus. And the FBI, these two, these two entities, the FBI and Perkins Coy, they were running an office space, sharing office space, sharing computers together. Uh, listen to clip four. We got a report from a whistleblower that we confirmed through multiple admissions, including this letter, showing that the Democrat Party's law firm, the law firm that received $42 million from the Democratic Party has this co-located workspace that they operate in concert with the FBI. Why in the world would that be the case? Why would Christopher Ray allow it to continue? Then you also have to ask yourself, why within the last 12 months was the person on behalf of Perkins Coy operating that, uh, that worksite, Michael Sussman? himself. And we heard through this trial that you just referenced that the FBI believed Michael Sussman was lying to them in 2017 when he was shuttling false information about Trump into the intelligence process. And now we learned for four years after that lie, Michael Sussman was in fact operating this secure work environment. So what reason would there be for that? And what leverage would the Perkins law firm have over the FBI given this work they're doing together? All right, so so this uh, Michael Sussman, this was all revealed during these court filings. So Michael Sussman was a he's a former federal prosecutor, and then he worked at this law firm, Perkins Coy, in Washington D.C. So he's cozied up to the FBI. They're sharing the same cubicle. I mean, this is this is like like novel material. So they're sharing the same office space, which means they're often sharing the same computer systems. And we wonder how the Russia hoax began. Well, it began because Michael Sussman was taking money from the Clinton campaign and the DNC and then funneling false information into the FBI system to create this Russia investigation, which turned into the Russia hoax, which ate up almost the entirety of the Trump presidency all over unfounded, fake, false claims. And so, talk about going soft on the criminals. Michael Sussman was acquitted last week, but boy, was it a miscarriage of justice. He clearly lied to the FBI about his involvement in the Russia hoax, was put on trial in Washington, D.C. By the way, the jury had like a couple Clinton donors, and then a former school buddy of his. We're on the jury. 
and he got let off. He got let off. Meanwhile, meanwhile, the uh, former President Trump economic advisor, Peter Navarro, he was arrested recently. Why was he arrested? Well, he was arrested, arrested for refusing to comply with the January 6th committee. The committee investigating the January 6th riots in Washington, D.C. at the Capitol. Uh, the January 6th trespassing on Capitol grounds. So Peter Navarro was handcuffed and marched down to the courthouse in Washington, D.C. because he wasn't properly responding, this is in their terms, to the January 6th committee request. And so Michael Sussman lies to the FBI, starts the Russia hoax, causes the FBI to spend 20 to $30 million on, on, on a big nothing burger. He gets let off. No problem here. Lie to the FBI. Who cares, right? Then uh, Peter Navarro doesn't want to participate in the January 6th hoax, and he gets marched down to the D.C. jail uh, because he's not responding. And the, talk about two-tier justice system. Remember Lois Lerner? To show you how the Department of Justice operates differently under different administrations. So when the, when the Democrats are in charge of the Department of Justice, when it's an Obama presidency, a Biden presidency, a Clinton presidency, the Department of Justice, they turn the blind eye to the crimes committed by the Democrats, clear, present, right-in-your-face crimes. You can talk Clinton. You can talk uh, Russia hoax. Uh, you can talk the Uranium One uh, deal with Russia. You can go down. All, you can talk about the Biden family corruption. DOJ didn't want to have anything to do with that. Lois Lerner doesn't show up in 2013 to 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 testify before Congress. She defies Congress. The committee holds her in contempt. Sends a referral over to the Department of Justice. Well, Obama's DOJ, they do nothing. You get Biden in charge, and the Democrats send over a referral to the Department of Justice, and what does the FBI do? They go and catch Peter Navarro in the airport, handcuff him in front of everybody, walk him down to the courthouse. Two-tier justice system. Hey, we're going to have on Representative Wes Allen from Alabama next segment. He's running for Secretary of State and a runoff there. Stay tuned for that. We'll be back in just a few minutes. When you hear this, this is American Family News. You know what follows is the truth. Your news from a Christian perspective. Hundreds of teachers are going to have to walk into that school building and they are forced to swallow political ideology that in many cases violates their very faith and conscience. If you miss it at the top of the hour, American Family News podcasts are available at AFN.net and sign up for our daily news brief at AFN.net. The left is at war with America over abortion. A pro-abortion terrorist group firebombed a family policy group in Wisconsin and are threatening more violence. Abortion extremists are protesting outside Supreme Court justices' homes. In all of it, we need to remember we aren't at war with them, but with evil. Will you join AFA in prayer and fasting for the reversal of Roe v. Wade in the Dobbs case? 
Find the details and come together in unity when you visit afa.net. Persecuted Christians, they love their enemies and they count it all joy to suffer for the Lord Jesus, but they need your help today. This is Bible League International, and in the Middle East one day, radicals showed up and burned down the house of Nora, nearly killing her and her four daughters, the youngest of which, four years of age, maimed for life with serious burns all over her body. You know what her crime is? Simply that Nora has been leading Arabic-speaking women to Christ, and they need Bibles there in the Middle East. And in Venezuela, a church has been rescuing women, some as young as 12, kidnapped and forced into prostitution constitution by the drug cartel. They have paid dearly. In fact, one of the members was killed. His corpse pulled behind a truck. But I can tell you this group, even though they're persecuted, is focused on pointing these women to the hope of the gospel. They need Bibles. Bible League is sending God's word to 16,000 persecuted believers. We're halfway there. We need to wrap up by the end of June. So at $5 a Bible, $100 sends 20. Would you call 800-YES-WORD? 800-YES-WORD. 800-YES-WORD or give it sendbiblesnow.org. Sendbiblesnow.org. If you are 65 or older, you know this. It's really frustrating to deal with out-of-pocket medical expenses, watching your hard-earned dollars just flying out the window. Well, here's something that can really help, and it's worth taking a minute to look into. MediShare has a new option called MediShare 65+. MediShare is a community of Christians who share each other's health care bills And it really is a community. People encourage and pray for each other. And MediShare 65 Plus is a low-cost option for those with Medicare Parts A and B that fills in the gaps where Medicare stops. You can lock in one low monthly price for up to 10 years. It's great for peace of mind. And you can use your Medicare-approved doctor and get prescription savings, dental and vision savings. Very worth looking into, and it's so easy to find out why people rave about the customer service at MediShare. They're great to talk to on the phone. Here's the number. Call 833-45-BIBLE. That's 833-45-BIBLE. 833-45-BIBLE. AFA at the Core podcast are available at AFR.net. Back to AFA at the Core on American Family Radio. Welcome to the core here on American Family Radio Network. Glad to have you guys with us on the show here on American Family Radio. Hey, don't forget to check out our website, AFR.net. You can also subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And uh, registration has closed for our Marriage Family Life Conference. So for those of you who have registered, thank you. And we'll be seeing you guys in July, first week of July. And uh, for those who didn't, maybe next year. Uh, we have this conference each summer, each year, uh, here at our national headquarters in Tupelo, Mississippi. Uh, so we'll see you in 2023 for those who did not register. Well, I want to welcome uh, on the line with us is Wes Allen. Wes is uh, running for Secretary of State in the state of Alabama. He has a runoff here on June 21st in Alabama. And uh, Wes, go ahead and uh, welcome to the Corps. Thank you so much, Walker. I really appreciate you having me on today. Thank you. Yeah, Thank you. absolutely. We like to interview candidates and, and current officials and uh, get their uh, view of the issues of the day. Well, in Alabama, tell our audience a little bit about yourself. You're currently in the state legislature. Sure. Uh, so I was born and raised in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Uh, I was a walk-on football player at the University of Alabama where I played wide receiver for Coach Gene Stallings and Mike DuBose. And uh, Dabo Sweeney was my position coach. Uh, a long time ago, and, and that's where I met my wife, Kay, and we'll be married 23 years this year. We have two children, Davis and Deanna. Uh, Davis is 20, and Deanna's 18, and uh, so we moved south 
to Troy, Alabama, which is in Pike County, about an hour south of Montgomery. Um, when, when we got out of our undergrad and I got my graduate degree at Troy University and that's just where we put down our roots. And, uh, we love Pike County. We love Troy. Uh, we worship and attend First Baptist Church of Troy, uh, where I'm an ordained deacon and lead a small group Sunday school class of, of men about my age. And, uh, we, you know, that's where we, we have uh, just planted our flag with that church. We love our church family and, uh, love our community and, uh, so that's where we are. I'm a former probate judge, um, for right at served for almost 10 years there in Pike County. And then in 2018, I ran for the house of representatives and, uh, was successful in that race and have served there for the last four years. And then now I am uh, campaigning for the open secretary of state, uh, uh, spot. And, uh, so we're in the runoff on June the 21st. Wes, let me ask you this. Uh, Secretary of State is a position in uh, in the state government that oftentimes gets overlooked, but it, it, it has a lot of responsibilities that are very important. One of those is the elections, the overseeing of elections. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell our audience what, if anything, you would do or continue to do as Secretary of State in Alabama as it relates to the elections. Well, you're right. It's very important in light of what happened uh, back in 2020, what we saw around the country, the chaos and confusion in these in these other states around the country, uh, especially those blue states. And so Secretary of State's offices are very, very vitally important because they are the chief elections official for, uh, for our state, Alabama. And I can tell you experience matters, Walker. In Alabama, uh, the probate judge in every county is the chief elections official. And so uh, I served in that role. Uh, like I said before, as probate judge in Pike County. And so I've ran elections. I know what it's like to do everything from beginning to end to administer election law and to make sure our elections are safe and secure. Uh, But also as a state representative, uh, I have sponsored and passed key legislation that has strengthened uh, the security of our elections. Like, for instance, I sponsored and passed the bill to ban curbside voting in the state of Alabama. We got that passed back in 2021. And then this past legislative session in 2022, I sponsored and passed a bill that prohibits the Zuckerberg money. You may, I know you know what that is. Oh, yeah. But we prohibited that in the state of Alabama as well. So I'm very proud of my experience. Uh, you know, I'm the only one in this race for Secretary of State in Alabama that has been a probate judge, that has been a chief elections official, and actually ran elections. And I'm the only one that is actually taking a vote to secure our elections. All right, Wes Allen, representative from uh, uh, Alabama, a state representative in District 89 there, Pike and Dell Counties in Alabama. Wes, uh, thank you for coming on, coming up on the show, and we'll have you yes, on sir. again maybe after your election, see how it goes. Thank you so much for having me on today. I really appreciate it, guys. All right, that's uh, Representative Wes Allen. He's running in a runoff for uh, Secretary of State in the state of Alabama. Currently, he is a state representative. Uh, for District 89 in Alabama, so he's running in June uh, on June 21st, uh, runoff there for Secretary of State in Alabama. So uh, maybe we'll have him on uh, after the election, see how it goes, and uh, see what he's going to do if he wins and the position of Secretary of State. Well, moving to um, an issue that we've been talking about for months here on the show is this issue of inflation. And, you know, they told us it was transitory, and this goes back months and months and months. Remember all the talking points I played, all the clips we played of the Biden administration officials, and not just the Biden officials, because they're all 
parroting the same talking points. They distribute the talking points every Monday morning, and they regurgitate these talking points no matter whether they're true or not. So you can expect that from the political class in Washington, D.C., but also many of the the economists also parroted the same talking points. This uh, uh, tra- this um, inflation is transitory. It's not here to stay. It'll be temporary. Prom- I promise you in a couple months it'll start to ease off. Well, we've been uh, being told that for the last 8 to 12 months. Finally, finally, finally this week, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen admitted that she was wrong about inflation, and she did so because Biden needed a fall, uh, in this case, not a fall guy, a fall lady uh, for all the terrible polling and the terrible uh, economic handling uh, by the Biden administration. So let's listen to Janet Yellen and her admission. I think I was wrong then about um, the path that inflation um, would take. As I mentioned, there have been unanticipated and large shocks to the economy that have boosted uh, energy and food prices and um, supply bottlenecks that have affected our economy badly that I didn't, at the time didn't fully understand. All right, so, so which one is it? I think I was wrong or I was wrong. Exactly. I didn't fully understand or I fully understood and just didn't care. You can't have it both ways. And these folks get paid the big bucks. They get put in positions of key power and authority to know and grasp and comprehend what they're doing. They have one focus And they have dozens of advisors and all these analysts and all these smart people with all these degrees. And you can't judge inflation? Inflation is not this new economic phenomenon that humanity is having to learn how to deal with. Inflation's been around forever. The principle of inflation has been around since monies have been created, currencies have been created, traded, Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. So, this is like economics 101. And when you pop trillions of printed money into an economy without withdrawing money, without replacing it or pulling money out, then what are you going to get? You're going to get inflation. The dollar is going to be cheapened. Price of goods is going to go up. And that's what happened here. So she didn't think she was wrong. She was wrong. And these are these half-hearted apologies that are just not genuine. You don't think you're wrong. You you were wrong. And here's why she was wrong. In 2021 with uh, Wolf Blitzer on CNN, she called inflation a, quote, small risk. She also went on to say that, quote, she didn't anticipate that inflation is going to be a problem. <laughs> exactly. That's what I say. Will of Fortune buzzer. She says she didn't anticipate that inflation is going to be a problem. Well, it is a problem. And so I'm going to take the cynical position, or others call it the realist position, 
that these folks knew exactly what was going on. You can't tell me all these smart folks in Washington, D.C., with unlimited resources to carry out their profession, they didn't see inflation sticking around for more than a couple months. You're telling me there was nobody in the room that raised their hand with meeting with Yellen and said, Hey, Janet, this inflation's going to be around for about two years, madam. And that's assuming that the Fed does something to slow it down. But if the Fed does nothing to slow it down, then it's going to continue until you do something to slow inflation down. Well, the Fed's doing some things now, although they're about, they're about six months to eight months too late. And so we have inflation. It's not transitory. It's here to stay. Some economists are saying for the next 12 to 24 months. And that's assuming, once again, that the Fed takes the late but proper approach to raise in, rise interest rates, raise interest rates, cool down the economy, cool down borrowing, and slow uh, this train down that's way too hot uh, called the U.S. economy. And it's way too hot not for natural free market reasons. It's way too hot because the government put way too much money into the system in way too short order. And so Janet Yellen finally admitting that inflation's not transitory. She was completely wrong, got it completely wrong. Uh, inflation is here to say, stay. And the um, the result is, is it has to be a recession. It has to be a recession. Now you go back, you know, six to 12 months ago, that necessarily wasn't going to have to be the case. But once the Biden administration made a decision to spend about $1.9 trillion more dollars in the name of COVID under the American Rescue Plan, which my question is, what did they rescue? <laughs> Nobody really knows what they rescued. And so they sent out about $2 trillion uh, Biden's first few weeks in office under the American Rescue Package, the American Rescue Plan. So that was in January of 2021. Here we are, May June 2022, and the Fed is just now taking measures to cool down inflation, to slow down inflation. When they knew it was a problem, they knew it was a problem half a year ago, eight months ago, 10 months ago, they knew this was a problem and they did nothing. Well, what happens when you have inflation like we do now, you have an economy that's overheating, interest rates way too low, what happens? Well, you have to take aggressive action to reel back in the inflation. And what does that lead to? It leads to an inevitable, an inevitable recession. Don't listen to me. Let's listen to former Obama Treasury Counselor Ratner uh, this is Steve Ratner. Let's listen to what he says. Clip one. Economists obviously are divided about this. It's a very unusual period. We've not really come out of a pandemic. We've not had as much excess savings as we still do have on consumer balance sheets at a time when we've also had this much, this much inflation. Uh, the, the bounce you see in the stocks for today is because China actually had a good night last night. They're finally, I think, mm -hmm. getting their act together. The question is whether we have our act together. Uh, inflation, as I said, is taking a toll on consumers. Your in, uh, mortgage rates are well over 5%. Getting
gasoline prices you just reported on at a, at a recent record high. And so I would I am on, on the more pessimistic end of the spectrum in terms of how I think the economy is going to perform. I think inflation is going to force the Fed to raise interest rates, certainly to five, six percent, maybe higher, Mika, as you suggested, in order to get inflation back to two percent. That is a trick the Fed has never accomplished without there being a recession. And as, as you said, you're starting to see consumers pull back. You're starting to see somewhat weaker earnings. Uh, I'm not predicting the, the, the end of the world or an immediate recession, but the road ahead does not look great. Quote, that is a trick talking about ra uh, uh, raising interest rates. That is a trick the Fed has never accomplished without there being a recession. Talking about getting inflation under control. The Fed has never done that without there being a recession. So why do we think that things are going to change now? Why do we think that we're going to get a different outcome now? We're not. And so there's going to be a recession brought on by the Biden administration because they thought it would be a great idea to spend $2 trillion unnecessarily. And by the way, the Trump administration, they, 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 they printed money unnecessarily as well. The second round of quote-unquote COVID relief that the Trump administration did with Congress was a terrible idea. People within the Trump administration said so. And uh, what Biden did with $1.9 trillion was also a terrible idea. And then on top of that, the Fed kept interest rates artificially low for 8 to 10 months after the fact, after inflation was already getting a hold on America's economy. So we got big problems here, all brought on by the very people that are put in positions to take care and foster and steward this country. So I recommend we put new people in charge that know what they're doing. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.